Good morning, Green Tree Community Church. Uh, my name is Tom Ricks, one of the pastors here at Green Tree. Glad to have you all worshiping with us this morning on this Sunday morning, uh, wherever you may be here in St. Louis or scattered uh, throughout the country or even around the world. Uh, it's wonderful to have folks uh, together. A couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, the first is that for those of you that live here in the St. Louis area, uh, because many of our schools are still closed, the Kirkwood School District is still doing virtual learning, we have created uh, a bit of a, of a learning center, a study hall might be an old term with which you're familiar, here in the sanctuary on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, Monday and Wednesday from 9 to 3.30, Fridays in the morning. And it's a place where students can come and can bring their, bring their iPads and get into their virtual classrooms. But it just gives them a little bit of oversight. We have uh, volunteers here and staff members that are, that are uh, caring for them. It also gives them a chance just to be together with the safe distancing and the masks, that sort of thing, but to be together with other students. Uh, and it looks like schools will be closed for a little while longer. So we're looking for more volunteers. Uh, we could use five, six, seven more Volunteers, if you have time, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays, uh, it could be all day on Mondays or Wednesdays or Friday mornings, or it could be a half day. Maybe you can work Wednesday afternoons. Uh, we would love for you to help. Uh, go to our website. Uh, Beth Bowman is our children's ministry director. Uh, she is heading it up. Jen Allen, who is our community uh, uh, ministries uh, leader, is also part of that. You could email either of them and let them know that you're interested in being part of Better Together and helping our students, uh, many of whom are coming from homes where, uh, you know, maybe single mom or parents are working, and, and this is really going to help those families. So if you would like to join us for that, uh, if you have some gifts in that area, you don't have to be a teacher, just be willing to be able to help, that would be awesome. Secondly, at the end of our teaching time this morning, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, so I want to make sure we give you a moment or two uh, to grab some juice, uh, grab uh, even a few pieces of bread, uh, and then when we get to the end of the sermon, uh, we will go into our time of communion. With that in mind, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles or in your phone or wherever, wherever you look up Scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In just a minute, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 13, and then we'll hop over to chapter 3 and read verses 1 through 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But before we do that, we're going to have a pop quiz. Now, here's the deal with this pop quiz. There are no wrong answers. You cannot fail this pop quiz. You can't really succeed at it either. It's just two questions that we would like for you to answer. So grab a piece of paper and a pencil, or again, maybe you're going to do it on your phone. Uh, you might need to share with, uh, with, with your children if you're together as a family. And I'd say you need to be at least, oh, I don't know, at least three years old to be able to participate in this quiz. So we have two questions in this quiz. So hopefully you've gotten your paper and your pen. If not, you can pause this if you need to, and then you can catch up. Here's question number one. What causes fights and quarrels in your life? What causes fights and quarrels in your life? So by fights, I don't necessarily mean fist fights. I mean, I mean arguments. So you've got a picture there on the screen of some folks that are fussing each other. And then I had to throw on a hockey picture there. Uh, you got a, got a picture of a couple of guys who decide that they're going to they're gonna drop them and, and have a go at it. They're pretty perturbed to one another. So, but in your life, uh, 
What are the circumstances? What are the situations? Answer that question any way you want to. What causes fights and quarrels in your life? And we're just going to pause here. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to think about that and jot down a word or two. And as, you, uh, as the sermon goes on, if you think about some other answers, you can jot them down. Here's the second question. Very similar, but a little bit different twist. What causes fights and quarrels in a church? What causes fights and quarrels in a church? So again, I'll give you a few seconds uh, to knock that around, and then we'll read the scripture and, uh, and dive in. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Hear the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, which I mean is that each of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For, one, uh, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we uh, live in a world of fighting and quarreling. Uh, in many ways, that defines uh, our culture these days as we wrestle with our frustrations of the pandemic. Uh, Lord, as we are in a, a political season with an election coming up where people are very divided, even within families. Uh, so, for, Father, uh, this is a very real uh, emotion. It's a very real uh, circumstance in our lives, uh, just an argumentative spirit. Father, it's true that this happens in your church as well. Christians, people who follow Jesus, disciples of the Lord Jesus, are not perfect people. Uh, we are sinful and broken people, and we give in to temptation. We give in to our own uh, old reality. Uh, when we don't embrace the new reality of being alive in Christ, and we can fight and quarrel with one another. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't see this this morning as something out there, but rather something with which we should examine uh, in our own context, not only in our own relationships and family and friends and neighborhoods and at work, but also, Lord, in our church. Uh, we want to be a church of unity. We want to be a church that lives in the new reality of this relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray uh, this morning, Father, that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you want us to know. I pray that my sin would not stand in the way, Lord. I confess my sin to you and ask that it would not be a hindrance to your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, as we introduced last week, we're going to be spending the fall talking about moving from the old reality to the new reality, uh, moving into new life in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean in very practical ways? And for this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to tackle the question of unity. Uh, and therefore, we're going to look at it from a positive and a negative side. We're going to look at it from the side of unity, but also from the side of, of divisions, uh, divisiveness, and disunity. Uh, this morning, we're going to spend more time looking about uh, at the problem, and next week, we'll be looking a little bit more at the answer, although it, there's a little bit of both in each of these sermons. But this morning, we're going to look primarily at, you know, what are the challenges for us here? So our sermon in a sentence is this. The first steps in building unity in the church are acknowledging, confessing, and repenting of our sins, which create disunity among Jesus's people. The first steps in building unity in the church are acknowledging, confessing, and repenting of our sins, which create disunity among Jesus's people. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul asks a beautiful rhetorical question. He says, is Christ divided? Uh, in verse 13 of chapter 1. And by, by asking that question, he's making a statement. The statement he's making is that Jesus Christ is completely unified. Well, what does that mean? How, how is Jesus unified and how is, should that unity be exemplified in our lives with one another? Well, let me give you three very brief ways in which Jesus is completely unified. The first is that Jesus Christ is unified in message. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read a phrase uh, that we, we hear also in Matthew's gospel, and Paul picks up on it later on and continues to use it, but Jesus is introducing the theme of his earthly ministry. And in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, verses 14 and 15, Mark says this, now after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of, a, of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Jesus says that over and over again. He says it in many different ways, but Jesus never veers off of that message. He never says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do good works and try and earn God's love. Jesus always has the same message for the highly religious to the atheist and everyone in between. And his message is unified to this day. The message of Jesus Christ in the 21st century world in which we live is repent and put our faith in him. Believe in Jesus. So he's unified in message. Secondly, John tells us in his gospel, and again, it's all over all of the gospels, that Jesus is unified in his mission. In John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, Jesus talking to a group of religious leaders, and he says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose uh, nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So Jesus, again, unified in, in the message of belief, but now he's talking about his mission. What is my mission? To do the will of my Father. What's the will of my Father? That everyone who puts their faith in me 
will be saved not only in this world, but in the life to come. Jesus is unified in mission. Thirdly, Jesus is unified in relationship. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying uh, the last prayer he's going to pray uh, before he goes to the cross. And, And he speaks and he prays about unity. In chapter 17, in verse 11, it's this, Jesus says this, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is praying for unity for his disciples. Then a little bit later in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, his immediate 12 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is now praying for you and me. If you are a believer in Jesus today, Jesus is praying for you. What's he praying that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus is perfectly unified in his relationship with his Father and his relationship with you and me. So Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Paul said, is Christ divided? And the answer is absolutely not. Why then? On a fairly regular basis, is his church divided? And I'm not talking about the difference between between Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and Catholics. I'm talking about in local congregations, specifically a Green Tree Community Church. Why is it that we can get sideways with one another? And if Christ is not divided but is unified, are, are we desiring, knowing that we're, we're imperfect, knowing that we're going to fall short, but are we desiring and longing for and moving towards unity? Well, the first steps, as we say, are acknowledging, confessing, and repenting of the sins that create disunity among Jesus' people. So we're going to look at those three words going forward. Acknowledge. What does it mean for us to acknowledge our our sins that are divisive? Well, in chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says this. It's reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling, there's a divisiveness, quarreling among you, my brothers. In other words, this is plain to see. It's not being hidden. It's not, you know, boy, you got to look real hard to find out if somebody over there in Corinth disagrees with somebody else. Paul says, one of the first thing the folks said who came to visit me, now, you're not going to believe the infighting. You're not going to believe the disunity in the church. People are, are, are divided. They're quarreling with one another. So acknowledging that it's there is the first step. And Paul just calls it right out. Doesn't beat around the bush, doesn't try to put polite words to it or try to say it nice so it doesn't step on anybody's toes. Uh, get used to it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to stomp all over our toes uh, because he loves us in Christ and because he desires for us to follow Jesus. And so acknowledging just, you know, it's there. It's plain for everyone to see, but it's also to acknowledge it is to understand that it is uncomfortable. It's painful to observe. Uh, Over in chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this, You're still in the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not in the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Ouch, that hurts a little bit. There's jealousy, there's strife. 
It's, it's obvious and, it, and it's painful. When there is this unity, it, it's hard to talk about sometimes because it's just it's embarrassing and it hurts. And, and we're kind of ashamed to say that that's part of our relationship. Years and years ago, I was in a, a, a premarital conversation with a young couple. And I, and I do the same exercise uh, with every couple. I talk to them about conflict resolution and talk to them about, you know, when you get in a disagreement, what's that look like? Let's, let's talk about that. And so this no couple's no different. I ask that question, you know, you guys, you get a little fight. What, what does that look like in your relationship? And they thought and they thought and they smiled and they were holding hands on the couch. And they kind of said, we can't think of one time when we've ever fought. And my initial thought was, did I misread their information? Did they just meet on the way up the stairs here? Have they known each other for any amount of time and they've never, never, ever had a disagreement? So I asked again, kind of a little more directly, gave a couple of examples and they're, no, we've never fought. Well, this was their first time and I usually do about six sessions or so with folks. So second time they come back, same question, same answer. Nope, never fought. Third time, same answer, same question. Fourth time, same question, same answer. We've just never fought. Fifth time we're together. I said, okay, guys, I'm, you know, I'm going to ask you, have you had a quarrel? And she says, nope, no quarrels. And he said, well, <laughs> okay, this is going to be good. And she kind of jerked over her head and looked, snapped around, looked at him. And he said, you know, we were in the furniture store the other day, sweetie, and we were looking at the couches, and I really wanted the blue couch, but you really wanted the beige couch. And so I gave in and let you have the beige couch, but I really wanted the blue couch. And he's saying this, smiling, holding her hand, and she says, you wanted the blue couch. I wanted the beige, or, or, or you wanted the beige couch, and that's why I gave in. And I just sat back. It was kind of like a tennis match. You could just watch back and forth as the argument unfolded. It was painful, but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, there's a real fine line between marital bliss and, and being delusional that you never fight. And at least we've started to kind of clear that up a little bit. But it, it wasn't any fun to watch that argument. Maybe you grew up in a home where people fought. Maybe your earliest memories in childhood are, are arguments between mom and dad in a home. Maybe you're a person that just has kind of a walks around and, and doesn't mind kind of mixing it up with people, a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. But the, the, the acknowledging that this is a painful circumstance is part of the step towards unity. Then thirdly, under acknowledge, and then we'll move on to the next, is it needs to be owned. We need to acknowledge that this is not somebody else's sin, but that this is our sin. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, what I mean by this is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Paul's calling them out. He's saying, you, you, you got to own it. It's yours. You guys are fighting with one another, so just acknowledge that this is true. I want to take you to uh, James chapter 4 here in just a second, and it's time to pull out your answers to the little pop quiz we had uh, at the beginning of our time together this morning. What causes fights and quarrels among you? As I said, I kind of do this in premarital, and I'll ask that of couples, you know, kind of what does that look like? And a lot of folks will uh, very few. I think that might have been the only couple that said they never fought. But folks will say, you know, if, if I come, if we get together for the evening and, and my boss treated me badly that day, that could kind of cause a fight. Or boy, we, you know, we, we were fighting through traffic the other day and it just, you know, kind of got under our skins. And, and they were explaining, they typically explain what causes fights and quarrels. And I'm, I'm wondering if on your sheet of paper, you might have written something down about circumstances. You might have written something down about unmet expectations. 
You may have written something down about your frustration and the way your spouse treats you in certain circumstances or the way your parents don't understand that you need to have a little bit more freedom now that you're a teenager. What causes fights and quarrels? And maybe in the church, you, you wrote about what the other folks do. You wrote about people kind of generically can tend to argue back and forth over theology or that sort of thing. I actually am asking you a question that James asks all of us. I'm going to leave 1 Corinthians for a minute and go to James chapter 4 because James asks this question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? But James has a very different answer than my answer, which would tend to be circumstantial. You know, if all the things are lining up right, there's no fight and quarrel. So whatever is happening, it's out there. It's not because of me. James says, is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What is James saying there? James is saying that, that the only right answer to the questions that were asked this morning is me. Now, there can be circumstances that cause uh, problems to be compounded. There can be situations in a marriage or in in a family relationship where certainly, uh, you know, it takes two people to argue, but we typically, if we're going to be honest, and I'm going to challenge us to be honest here, if we are honest, fighting and quarreling in Tom Ricks's life begins in Tom Ricks's heart. It's because I don't get what I don't, what I want. I have a desire and I want it, and I want it for me. I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. I want my needs to be met. I want fill in the blank any way you want to. And if I don't get that, I'm going to get grumpy, and I'm going to take it out on somebody. And so if we're going to sit back and kind of fold our arms and say, no, pastor, it's really about those folks out there, we might as well just stop. And unfortunately, we don't have donuts because of COVID. We might as well just stop uh, you know, there and just move on. But the truth is, in the, cor- the church in Corinth, and the church in my own heart and the church here at Green Tree Community is that these fights and quarrels have to be owned by us with a period. No, uh, no adding on to it. No, no explaining it away. The first step in building unity in a church is acknowledging. It's plain to see. It's painful to observe, but we got to own it. But secondly, we said what? Acknowledging and confessing. So what is confessing? Confessing is simply admitting that my way of thinking or the words I'm using or the actions of my life are sinful. What do we mean by that word sinful? We mean it's wrong. We mean it's hurtful to ourselves or to other people. We, we mean at its root, it's actually evil. It does great harm. It potentially does great harm to others. And so it's not just that we see it and go, well, that doesn't feel very good. And okay, I'll admit it's mine, but we have to say it's wrong, that it, it can be destructive. We have to own it to that degree. That's the start of confession. So in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Why shouldn't there be any divisions? Because divisions are harmful. They're hurtful. In chapter 3, uh, verse 3, aren't you behaving with fits when you have this jealousy and strife? Aren't you behaving in only a human way, a way that is void of the Holy Spirit of God and his word? And isn't that hurtful? To others, isn't that in rebellion against God? Going back to James 
chapter 4, James says this. Boy, James, if you think Paul's stepping on toes, James is a master at it. He says this. Don't you know you're asking for the wrong reasons because you're selfish? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That word enmity literally means to hate. If you're a friend of the world, you hate. You're acting in a way that is hateful towards God. When we cause divisiveness within our relationships with one another, we have to acknowledge that it is harmful, that it is wrong, that it is sinful. Otherwise, there is nothing to confess. We're simply stating something, but confessing means acknowledging that it causes some amount of pain and hurt. And in this confession, I truly believe that being specific is crucial. In chapter 1, verse 11, Paul lays it out. It's been reported that there is quarreling among you brothers. He's, he calls it out, and he's very specific. There's this, there's this infighting within you. He does the same thing in chapter 3 when he calls it jealousy and strife. It's not about this particular tone that we had in the conversation or, or that just didn't quite sit right. It, I, maybe, I, maybe I said it the wrong way. It's getting down to brass tacks. And it's being honest enough with yourself with others to say, I'm feeling very jealous right now. Or I'm, I'm feeling uh, very angry right now and, and I really want to lash out at someone. I, I, I really want to get my pound of flesh. You know, there's a big difference between the idea that I don't like to be wrong, and I would say that's most of us. Most people, we don't like to be wrong. We like to be right. There's a big difference between that and having to be right, insisting that my way is right. I'm going to die on this hill. I don't, I don't care if we're friends afterwards. I'm going to win the argument. And, and we can live our lives in the church in that way. So it's crucial to put specificity to our confession. Lord, I confess that I am acting in a divisive way, that my words are harmful to others, that they're pushing people apart. They're not bringing people together. So acknowledgement leads to confession, and Lord willing, confession then leads to repentance. Repentance begins with an emotional connection to my sin. Paul says, when I say I follow Paul, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human. What Paul is saying there is, do you see that your sin has, has an emotional foundation to it that is, is harmful to others? Aren't you being merely human? Aren't you falling short of allowing the Spirit of God to work in your life? If I'm going to go there, I have to have an emotional connection with that sin. I've got I've to begin to hate that sin. I've got to begin to really want to turn away from that sin and turned towards God. Repentance means going in a, in a different direction. And so as I confess that sin, I want to move away from it. I move away from stuff I don't like. I, I've never, I, I have a hard time moving away from a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> I, I have a hard time moving away from dessert. I got no problem moving away from broccoli. Easiest thing in the world for me to do is to move away from asparagus. Things I don't like, I can move away from those. But sin is something in which we actually delight, if we're honest. It feels good to get your pound of flesh, does it not? 
It feels good to take that jab and make that last point and make that other person suffer because they've harmed you in some way. And in doing so, we cause division. But you know what? It feels pretty good to do that. But if we're going to move away in repentance, it means we have to develop a hatred for those things that God hates. And God hates the things that we do that hurt each other. God hates the things that we do that bring strife into one another's lives because we're just too proud to admit that, that maybe we could be wrong this time. There's got to be an emotional connection to that. James puts it this way in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now be careful when you draw near to God, because here's what that looks like. That sounds so nice, doesn't it? Draw near to God. It's almost like, let's get our warm blanket out. But here's what he says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Repentance is not excusing my sin. It's not blaming my divisiveness for someone else. It's actually grieving and sorrowing. It's, it's having an emotional connection that makes me want to draw near to God and away from those things that are so harmful. Therefore, we must understand that the first step up is actually down. Again, coming back to chapter 3, verse 4, aren't you acting in a merely human way? Paul's saying, you got to understand you're not getting it right. Well, that's a step down. <laughs> that, that's not a step up. A step up, you know, boy, I'm getting it right. But in order to go in that direction, we have to acknowledge that we've gone in the wrong direction. So that, that first step of repentance, <clears throat> the way up, so to speak, is down. Uh, last uh, comment out of James uh, chapter 4, where he says, humble yourselves then before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So humbling yourself for the Lord is acknowledging your sin and allowing him to bring his forgiveness into your life. That means the first step down is up. I served in another church years ago, and we were in a staff meeting one day, and the lead pastor of that church had been going through a bout. It was a second bout with cancer, and he had not been feeling well. He'd been going to radiation treatments. And he said, before we start staff meeting, I would just like to say, to the, and this is a big staff, about 40 uh, staff members in this church. And I was just a young youth guy, and I'm sitting over there in the corner. Uh, and he says, I just want to say to everybody, I know for the last three months I've been going through my treatments, and I've been pretty grumpy. I've been pretty cranky. And I've been short with you if I've hurt you in some way. I just want to acknowledge that, and I want to apologize. Well, there's a guy sitting next to me who, he was the guy on the staff who could kind of say anything to the boss and get away with it. Uh, you know, kind of like the, there's, there's maybe one of those in every family. They can kind of say what nobody else can. And so this guy who I'm sitting next to, and now I want to crawl under the table, he raises his hand. He says, you know, Dr. So-and-so, uh, I speak for the rest of the staff when uh, I say, we thank you for your confession of, of being cranky with us the last three months. But what about the last 20 years? <laughs> and I just wanted to run away. And, you know, I'm not with him. <laughs> Please understand that. But what he was in a funny way acknowledging and saying was, you got you to gotta repent. You got to understand that, that you got to take that step down in order for God to draw you up. Because your efforts in trying to climb up to God by your good behavior, my efforts of trying to climb up to God by saying the right things and looking the right way and trying to do the right things is an exercise in absolute eternal futility. It will never move us in the right direction because it's filled with pride and it's filled with arrogance and it's filled with selfishness. When I think I can draw near to God on my terms, I'm making myself God and God subservient to me. 
And so the first step up is down, humble ourselves. The under, just admit, I, I'm being merely human right now. And then in repentance, this, the, the last observation repentance, we'll wrap up here. Pick a different pathway. Let me bring you back to verse 10 of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and now here's the different pathway, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul says, pick the pathway of unity. Pick the hard work of, of being honest with one another and, and working through our differences together, not in a way that pulls us apart. Uh, I've, I've read a book recently, and our staff is actually getting ready to go through this book together in a Bible study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, by a guy named Pete Scazzera. And I had the opportunity to be in a cohort with uh, Pete Scazzera over the summer. It makes it sound like I was hanging out with him. There were a hundred of us in the cohort. Uh, but we got a chance to go through this. And in this book, uh, one of the things he does is lists some things that can move us away from unity that can move us away from deepening our relationships with one another and, and actually uh, push us into disunity and divisions within the church. I'm just going to read this list really quick. Uh, things that Tom Ricks could do, and maybe you, you could relate to some of these things too, uh, as you hear this list. Say one thing to people's faces and another thing behind their backs. Make promises we have no intention of keeping. Blame or attack others. Give people the silent treatment. Be sarcastic. Give in because we're afraid of not being liked. Man, how many times have I done that one? Leak our anger by sending an email containing a not-so-subtle criticism. Tell only half-truth because we can't bear to hurt another friend's feelings. Say yes when we mean no. Avoid and withdraw and cut off. And the last one, find an outside person with whom we can share in order to ease our anxiety. All of those things are acts of selfishness. We talked about that last week when we introduced uh, this topic of a new reality, that the old reality really is defined by human selfishness. So this morning, brothers and sisters, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, as we prepare to celebrate that which brings us together and unifies us, can we freely admit that Green Tree Community Church, like any other body where, where a bunch of people who follow Jesus get together, can have conflict. There can be strife among us. And that we must pay attention to strive for unity. Not by looking at what other people ought to be doing. Not by critiquing them, but by looking in our own heart. And asking God to help us acknowledge where we're going in the wrong direction and then confessing that it is actually the wrong direction without excuse or without blaming anybody else. And thirdly, repent of that. Say, Lord, I, I want to hate that. I want to go in a direction that honors you and gives life to the people around me. Our application this week is simply that. Take that first step downward or maybe another way to say it would be inward. Don't consider what other folks are doing right or wrong, but look in your own heart, through the lens of these passages, through 1 Corinthians 1 and, and chapter 3, the first few verses, uh, I'll remind you, James chapter 4, we looked at the first half of James chapter 4, you'll find those verses that I shared with you. And, and ask God to show you, Lord, where am I, if I am not helping unity at Green Tree Community Church, show me where, I, show me where I'm misstepping 
and allow me to acknowledge it. And now me, allow me to, to be safe in my acknowledgement, trusting you and not trusting in, in others, not trusting in myself, but trusting in you. Allow me to confess that it's wrong and call me to a repentant life that moves in a new direction. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this word. Father, it is a hard word. It, it steps on our toes. It calls us to look into our hearts through the lens of Scripture and see where we can be uh, creating disunity instead of unity. But Father, I thank you that, that we, don't, <coughs> we don't confess our sin <coughs> just to get beat up over it, to feel bad. We confess it because through that confession, we have forgiveness and we have new life. We have a new reality in Christ Jesus. The old reality says we have to take care of ourselves. And so creating disunity maybe is, is better in the old reality because I protect myself, even if I have to harm you. Lord, help us to live in the new reality of Jesus Christ that, that says we acknowledge that the unity of, of the body of Christ, and for us, that's Green Tree Community Church, is, is important. It's a big part of our witness to the world and that we fail at it and that it's not those guys fail at it, but I fail at it. Allow us to confess that, say it's wrong, it's hurtful, and to embrace repentance that begins to move us in a more godly direction. And as we uh, prepare our hearts now, Lord, for communion, that that, that acknowledgement and confession of repentance would, would pervade our thinking and our spirits right now as we come into fellowship with you through your sacrifice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.